Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. Now it's time for the latest in our series of big profile interviews. Today, we're joined by someone who's worn many hats during his life in Irish politics, the arts and the media. In politics, he was with Sinn Féin in the 60s before the split. He was then an influential figure on the left with the ill-fated Workers' Party. Since then, he's moved around a bit as an advisor to John Bruton's Fine Gael, supporter of Bertie Ahern's Fianna Fáil, a time in the, as a senator appointed by that Taoiseach from 2007 to 11. Stopping off on the way, he helped out the Labour presidential candidate Mary Robinson in her successful campaign to be Ireland's first female president. Along with all that, he's been an influential figure in Irish television, 25 years with RT's Current Affairs, and also has produced and directed various documentaries on Irish history. So, while currently lecturing in film school and teaching a screenwriting class, you will mostly perhaps know him as a columnist, one of the most trenchant and controversial columnists in Ireland's leading paper, The Sunday Independent. Owen Harris, thank you very much for being my special guest today. Tell me, you had a bit of bad health. How are you? I'm very well. I'm, I'm, I'm not bad for my age. I'm, I'm kind of bouncy around, I feel. Um, I enjoyed the bio, but it left out the most important thing from my point of view. It left out my work with David Trimble. I was like a you know part-time advisor to Trimble. I helped to write his Nobel Prize speech, and uh, I stay in close contact with unionists in the north. All and the time. would you believe that I only learned that for the first time by reading some background data? I don't do enough research, but I did learn that. Um, let's start with Northern Ireland. Every time I pick up the Sunday Independent, you're having another go at Sinn Fein. Maybe you could just set out your case against Sinn Féin and why they shouldn't be supported. I was um, in Sinn Féin myself. Uh, I, I, I come from a very hard Republican home. Uh, I would be, have been a Republican until I was 23 or 24, as, as I would have been a socialist and a hardline socialist at that. Um, Northern Ireland, the campaign, the, the Provo campaign, changed me as it changed probably most people in this country. It was that slow leakage of blood under the door every morning, turn on the news, some part-time member of the UDR in some remote farm in Fermanagh, like Arlene Foster's father, had been gunned down as he was milking cows. And 30 years, 25 years of that um, created a slow revulsion to the Irish people and a much faster revulsion than me. I suppose uh, the epiphany for me was the arms trial, um, and uh, where I came to the conclusion that definitely a section of the Irish, if you like, capitalist class at the time was trying to foment a trouble in Northern Ireland to distract from the internal f- problems of the Republic. Um, but now, nowadays, why do I go on now? Because, um, like, I was just thinking about the Marie Le Pen, Marine Le Pen campaign and the way the left here keeps using words like far right and extreme nationalist to put her down. But all of these apply to Sinn Féin. And I have a bee in my bonnet about it, people feel. But you see, it is not really normal. The, the campaign to normalise Sinn Féin um, started up, restarted recently with Brexit. Brexit is a Trojan horse for Sinn Féin. Brexit allowed Sinn Féin to pose as the good guys and to demand and talk about a united Ireland to start this unity campaign. Extraordinarily, they were supporting this 
by an extraordinary symbiosis of RT and the Irish Times. The Irish Times has been running like a green campaign for months now about unity and Brexit and a united Ireland and border polls going on and on and on, um, as distinct from the Sunday Independent. And one of the things I'm proud of is that the Sunday Independent has refused... Um, as indeed the INM papers generally, they refuse to be panicked into this border poll hysteria. And why is that a problem? Because the Good Friday Agreement, it was like a long row between two neighbours had been actually settled and mediated by the parish priest or the, the Church of Ireland Rector or whatever. We were actually quite happy after 1998. It was There was t- 10 or 11, 17 glorious years. And suddenly this stuff has started again. And Sinn Féin has started up this stuff about the border poll. Well, that's like sort of uh, taking a woman in a car and talking loudly about rape. You, you give her a lift and suddenly you start talking about rape and sexual desires. Like that kind of talk frightens unionists. And when they're frightened, they go into their bolt holes and they get tight and they start giving trouble. And in fact, I doubt if the Brexit poll would have been as bad as it was in Northern Ireland had Sinn Féin not been bringing so much pressure now, the hypocrisy of the Sinn Féin campaign is this, that they said they had two problems with Arlene Foster. One was her attitude to Irish. But can I tell you, a lot of Irish people here have troubles with compulsory Irish, never mind Arlene Foster. But she reached out after being kind of educated. She went to our ladies' grammar school a couple of weeks ago. She spoke Irish. She did the best she could. It was barely reported by the Irish media. Then she made a big, soft Brexit speech, soft border speech on Brexit. She did her best to to ameliorate, to reach out to moderate unionists and nationalists. And again, it wasn't adequately reported. And the hypocrisy of Sinn Féin is that they kicked up a row with the Irish language and, in fact, then they dropped it. They have no real interest in Irish, as she's right to call it. They, they weaponised the language, as indeed a lot of cultural nationalists did down here. But more importantly than that is the whole Ash controversy. They said she should step aside during the Ash campaign. But as our... Um, commentator Elisha Hannan pointed out, the Ash campaign was dropped immediately by Sinn Féin the minute they got what they wanted. So what do they want? What they wanted to do, Jerry Adams and Sinn Féin were never happy with the Good Friday Agreement. They never signed it, by the way. Most people don't know that. They never signed it and they worked it for a while and Martin McGuinness liked it. He liked politics. He was good in politics. Had Martin McGuinness lived, I doubt if they would have pulled down the executive. He was sick man when it was pulled down. He went along. I doubt McGuinness in the full of his health I think he would have fought harder about pulling down the executive. In fact, I'm certain he would have. Um, It was what Adams always wanted, because what Adams wants is a spotlight on the Republic. That's where his main strategic aim is. Sinn Féin's strategic aim is to become an acceptable coalition partner. Why? They want to be in government here, and they want to be able to make mischief in Northern Ireland, and they hope out of some kind of political crisis that a pan-nationalist federation will be formed and ourselves and the Brits, Dublin and London, will beat up on the unionists and humiliate them a bit more and get a better deal for nationalists. That's roughly how I see it. Okay, right. And and I think people would travel all of the road with you about the abhorrence of the sectarian murderous campaign, the criminality and all of that. But when you look at... at, at, uh, violence and paramilitary campaigns and maybe South Africa and so on. Is there a point in the future? Because I asked, Bertie was sitting where you were, and I asked him, well, if Mary Lou was the leader or if Jerry Adams was gone, and, you know, suggestions he might go in September, is there any point in the future where you might take your foot off their neck? Yes, I would take my foot off their neck tomorrow morning if the members of their party 
if any member of their party in T or the TDs stood up and said that Northern campaign was wrong. We realise it was wrong. We realise it drove Irish unity backwards and it alienated and hurt and frightened our Protestant neighbours. It was bad not just for Northern Ireland, it was bad for Ireland. And we admitted and we beat our breasts. Has any other group of people done that? Yes, all over Europe, in the six great communist states of Europe, the communist parties beat their breast and they said, we were wrong. Stalin was wrong, we blew it, we didn't know what we were doing. There was huge public remorse and redemption in Czechoslovakia, Hungary. What shocks me and why I believe they're a cult is that a whole party can sit in the Doyle and explain away not just Jean McConville 30 years ago, but like more recent stuff like Paul Quinn only 10 years ago, like the shooting of um, two people in Dublin, uh, Joe Rafferty and uh, Bob Delaney. They were shot only a few years ago after crossing local Provo thugs who were linked to Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin had to face the adverse fallout. It's the fact that they, that they went through the whole Maria Cahill, Polly McMahon, that literally at any day, any minute, a new skeleton will drop out of their cupboard. Not old skeletons, but new skeletons. And that's why I think it's absolutely suicidal of a faction of Fianna Fáil to believe that they can go into a coalition with Sinn Féin. It's why so strongly opposed uh, Fianna Fáil doing a deal and why I went along with a very unhappy unwieldy... Um, new politics. New politics, so to speak. Because I, anything is better than Sinn Féin. Not because uh, I don't like the colour of their faces or I disrespect them. They uh, have some specifically of the best on deputies. the Mary Lou question, if she was leader, would, would that... No, would, no. Uh, the I remorse has to come. No, I think she's the most brazen of them all. I think Mary Lou is particularly brazen uh, in that I don't know how she has the gall... Um, to sit there. You write today about the Dowdall case. Well, to sit there after the Dowdall case, after, you know, this Alexander Hurley was beaten up, waterboarded in the garage, told he'd be mutilated, and told he was in the hands of the IRA. And he was our best pal only a few years ago. And then she comes on and she sits in RT proms and other proms and she pontificates about the Garda Commission and Law and Order. Like, hypocrisy is the word that comes to mind. OK, I want to tell a story uh, I used to volunteer to go on every Fine Gael communications course, whether it was Tom Savage and Patricia Redlich and yourself held a course. And I was out in Dunleary and I used to go on the beer very heavily, nightclubs on a Wednesday night. And one Thursday morning, I was on the second day of your course and I was very hungover. And Owen Harris was in full flow about Northern Ireland. And and you, you caught the fact that I was maybe nodding off or not paying full attention. And you said, Yates... Uh, why aren't you listening or something like that? And I said, well, actually, Owen, and I was cheeky enough to say, Northern Ireland isn't a very big issue Mm -hmm. in Wexford constituency. And you walk down to the table and you banged your fist on the table right in front of me and said, when a bomb goes off in Belfast, it's a bloody big issue. It's a defining issue in Irish politics. Mm -hmm. Do you still hold that view? Every country has a historical issue, which is moral template. Britain's, Britain, Britain's templates, the moral templates that make Britain are, are the Second World War, Churchill, the Blitz, standing against Hitler. That's what they go back to when their backs are against the wall. And they have the downside as well, the empire, the bad side of their history. The moral template in Ireland is, has always been, as since the foundation of state, our attitude to the gunmen, to the IRA, to, the, to those who want to subvert the state and cause trouble in Northern Ireland, which may subvert the state. Now, that, 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 how, what you feel about that 
I believe, is the greatest guide to Irish politics. And that's why I get very irritated when uh, Simon Coveney or Leo Varadkar, when they talk about Sinn Féin and they say, oh, we don't like their economic problems. What a joke. Look, to me, politics is a minor branch of ethics and morality. And for most people, that's true. When you engage in politics, you're always thinking at the end of the day, is this right or this wrong? Is that a fair allocation of money or is it an unfair allocation of money? Right and wrong and ethics come into it all times. To me, it's politics would bore me senseless if I had to just deal with the doyle. What interests me is that the IRA, attitudes to the IRA Sinn Féin, are crucial in how the public evaluates politicians. Now, they don't say this in polls, but when I wrote it years ago... Tom Garvin, the political scientist in UCD, wrote to me and said, you're dead right. What I said was two things. I said, the Irish people, number one, are dumb revisionists. Dumb revisionists, i.e. they have a revisionist, partitionist view of Ireland. They don't really want to United Ireland and they wouldn't pay a penny for it. That's dumb revisionism. The second thing is secret fatwa. The Irish people pronounce a secret fatwa on any politician, finally, who plays games at the IRA. It finally finished off high. And if you take a hard line on the IRA, it sends out a signal. This is particularly important in Fianna Gael, never mind the Fianna Fáil. Micheál Martin sends out a very tough anti-Sinn Féin signal. That reassures Middle Ireland. Let's move on to the left in Ireland. Your career, you know, uh, Workers' Party, all that kind of stuff. Are you still a socialist? I would. And how do you regard the left in Ireland? Well, I would be, uh, I would vote, I, I would vote left if there were what I call a serious Labour Party. Um, we haven't had a serious Labour Party since the collapse of the Workers' Party and since the collapse of the old Labour Party. I think the last Labour leader that, to my mind, was like a real old-fashioned serious Labour leader was probably Frank Tusky. There were great men in the Labour Party, like Barry Desmond, for example, these kind of people. This, the same collapse has happened in Britain as happened in the, in, in the Irish left. The Irish Labour Party destroyed itself by persistently going into coalition with Fine Gael. That didn't help. They gave us the reason they could get things. They didn't get anything. They didn't really win anything from the coalitions. And meanwhile, the left of the Labour Party flourished in the form of solidarity, austerity, people against profit, what we now call the trots. What's and a trot? A trot, the word trot for me goes back to the Press-Litovsk agreement when Lenin in the middle of the bloody Russian Revolution was shaking in its shoes. The war was still going on and Lenin sent Trotsky to Press-Litovsk and he said, make peace with the Germans and give them land for peace. Trotsky went down there, didn't make peace, came back, held big meetings in Moscow and Leningrad and said, I bring you neither peace nor war. And Lenin said, go back and make peace. Because you can't have neither peace nor war. And I always go back to that because that's the classic trot position, wanting everything, wanting masses of social welfare, wanting masses of free health service, no mention of how to be paid for, no mention of the tax collection side, no mention of bad stuff. Trots are people who, 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 who politically in terms of economics live in a fantasy land. But even worse than that, in my view, they usually tend to have a really bad view of nationalism as well in Northern Ireland. I always compare them, I used to say, they approach the Protestant working class with a red flag in front of them and a green flag held behind their back. Uh, and, uh, and is, uh, is there any people that fit that label in the doll? Like like Paul Murphy, I think scratch, Boyd Barrett. Uh, well, scratch Claire Daly or scratch Mick, uh, Mick Wallace and you'll find them standing going bail and whingy about fellas that were arrested by the guards who were raving dissident Republicans. You know, scratch any trot and you'll find some bit of a probo lying inside there. But that, that being the case, 
leaving that aside for a second, the lack of a serious Labour Party on the Irish left is a horror. And one of the reasons why the Labour Party is in trouble is the thing you love is the thing that always kills you. And the Labour Party is in love with the public sector. And it's the public sector which actually is destroying it because their cosy relationship with 600,000-odd people in the public sector who fundamentally vote for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, and most of them don't even vote for the Labour Party, that love affair has cut them away from the great mass of what we used to call the proletariat. The Irish working class is in the private sector. The Irish working class has no job security, really. It's pensionless, has a tough time, has to get up in the morning. But do you see it anyone crushes. in politics standing up to the public <clears throat> sector vote and, and all the discrepancies that are apparent in well, terms of we, you know, the preferential treatment? Uh, yeah. Like it's now become an, a human right to have more public sector pay when you listen to some people on the left. Well, we don't have to rehearse the injustice and inequity of it. It's quite appalling. It's 40% around about that wage gap in pay. We don't know the pensions are just worth millions to them. We don't even know. Nobody would price the recent commission, wouldn't price the job security. What's that worth? Um, when you think of tens of thousands losing their jobs in the recent recession, <coughs> nobody in the public sector lost their job. Like that to me is the biggest scandal in modern Irish politics. And I don't see any way around it. Fundamentally, the public sector unions, <coughs> they have both political parties terrified. Uh, they, are, they actually are, are, are to blackmail them. And it won't be fixed until there is a, a strong government and I can see no way out of it. You said it some last year and I was against it. But I increasingly see no answer to the problems of the country except the Fianna Fáil-Fianna Gael alliance. OK, well, that's very interesting because uh, on this programme last week, Micheál Martin, you know, I said, you know, the Garda Commissioner, do you have confidence in it? He said, no. I said, well, why don't you, you know, go the whole hog? I said, you're just afraid it'll collapse the government and the Minister for Justice. And he said, no, 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 no. And then he goes up at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meeting and said, lads, do you want a general election? This will collapse the government. Like, it, 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 it is actually impotent, the whole thing, isn't it? Well, it is, but... And what do you think of the Garda <coughs> controversy? If you don't mind, I don't want to go into it because I, I follow George Orwell's rule is if other people are writing about things, don't bother going into them. Everyone is quite, I hate, okay, well hate hand-wringing about okay, well stuff that other journalists are to something else that you, you, you hand-wring well, a lot about. Why, why, why have you got a chip off your shoulder about RTE? You give them an awful hard time. I do, I do. Uh, and, uh, like you were 25 years with them. Yeah, you hired the likes of Marion Fanucan, mm-hmm. Charlie Bird. Mm-hmm. You actually have a very proud record in RTE. Why are you so anti them? I'm not anti RTE. Uh, uh, most of the staff, but I do think there's a cultural, uh, well, there's a cultural tradition, for want of a better word, in RT News and Current Affairs that goes back to the Section 31 controversy of the 80s. And when you take a position of wanting to reform something that Sinn Féin wants as well, you objectively mentally start thinking like in Sinn Féin terms. The, the journalist in RT said, oh, we can, we can support the Sinn Féin campaign uh, to get rid of Section 31 without in any way being affected by this. But you see, that was a. That was you see the, the general workers, by the way, in RT who used to vote every year in the transport union, never supported the removal of Section Thirty One. The mass of the workers there never did, but the journalists always did. And journalists tend to be kind of trendy characters, a lot of them, and they tend to be lefty bourgeois, lefty from. Is that a crime? But, no, it's not. But it is a mentality where they. I do, I don't think that that left-wing journalists have to say, have a moral compass when it comes to violence, the same kind of moral compass. You see, if you're in a, a campaign in RT and you say, remove Section 31, let the IRA on the air and we'll be able to handle them. And then it happens and they're not able to handle them and there's no kind of admission they weren't able to handle them and they haven't been able to handle them ever since. And I think that RT current affairs and news have a very 
uh, give a very soft time to Sinn Féin. OK. Looking to the future, Simon or Leo or Hall, who rocks your boat? Fine Gael are spoiled for choice. They're lucky, but I'm not going to sit in defence about it. I saw in the Sunday Times this morning that um, the Fine Gael party wants uh, Simon, but that the public wants Leo Varadkar. Like, it's absolute insanity for a party to ignore the public. That is, the, These are the people who vote in the general election. I can't see why it has to be either or. I can't see why it can't be a dialectical solution, my favourite one. Politics now, four years, is a long time nowadays. I can't see why if the public want Leo, the party can't try him out as leader for four years and throw him out at the end of four years and put Coveney in to be the steady pair of hands. So it's you favour Leo? I would favour Leo for now if I were in Fianna Gael. And Micheál Martin, will he be Taoiseach? I think Michal and Martin will be Taoiseach and when he's Taoiseach he'll need somebody quite tough to handle because I believe there's going to have to be a coalition next time around. Let's talk and move away from politics. The arts, books, films. Um, what are you most proud of? Of all the things that you've produced, created? Well, I kind of... I, I like the um, I like the sharp series that I wrote for 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 Carlton Television uh, because it has a lot of subtext in about British and Irish people. Sean Bean is the British officer, but Daryl O'Malley is the Irish sergeant, and it's a lot of good jokes about Ireland and Britain, and it's a good series, and I, I I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm very proud of um, a program I did call on Tuss Fodded, a long silence about Canon Salter in West Cork, who's whose father was driven off his land in West Cork and left the country briefly, but courageously came back and got back to another farm anyway and lived in Ireland. Um, what is your relationship with Southern Protestants? Because there's a book you've referred to me that you're recommending, Buried Lives, the Protestants of Southern Ireland, uh, written by Robin Burry. Um, what's, what's your point of view about the prods in the South? Well, I suppose um, what happened... I had no feeling at all or any understanding or any relationship with Protestants until I began to work on a play called Super Sullivan about mass conversions to Protestantism during the famine where a group of people in Protestants of West Cork, Catholic labourers, became Protestants and then refused to go back to Rome, which is what they used to do everywhere else, and eventually emigrated. It was called Super Sullivan. It was put on the Abbey. But it opened up... Uh, it opened up... A lot of West Cork Protestants began to open up to me about the War of Independence and about what they felt... And it was quite shocking to to suddenly realise the fear there and intimidation. You see, you don't have to kill anybody. And there weren't Protestants killed in West Cork. But like, it's enough if you're a, living, a Protestant living in a small farm, an isolated farm, and you get just a 303 bullet through the post. You don't know what your Catholic neighbours are thinking in the middle of a civil war. You're worried and you're inclined to go if you're pushed. So what matters to me is that their story is to, is told. I'm not saying the Protestants are badly treated now, although there are still some residual problems. For example, like how can the nuns take over or try to take over a hospital or a single church of Ireland voice being raised in protest? I mean, officially. Um, Erskine Childers was forced to, to put up with the nuns taking over Vincent's hospital at the time and he was a Protestant minister. But what's been lacking mostly is that those of us who have investigated sort of atrocities and uh, tax on Protestants in the War of Independence and... There were a series of very anti-Protestant riots in, the 19, in 1935, by the way, across the south of Ireland. Uh, whenever this problem in the north, the Protestant population here is kind of held hostage. Even during H-blocks, there was anti-Protestant attacks. Like, you treat our lot badly up there, we'll treat you badly down here. Not too badly, but just badly enough to let you know we're around. And one of the problems about it is that the Church of Ireland's official policy is to keep the head down. 
And that means that I get letters, like every week I get letters from Protestants, like a church in Camolan was burned and desecrated. I get letters about it. I get letters from Protestants who are being messed around in Tipperary. But if I say to them, would you go public on that? And I guarantee you, we'll all back you. They say, no, 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 keep the head down. So the result is, like, the Church of Ireland is colluding, and Hubert Butler said that, is colluding in its silence with the delusion of Catholics that everything was hunky-dory. Everything wasn't hunky-dory. And Robert Bu- Robert, Robin Bury's great book, Buried Lives, is the first honest, polemical, hardline Protestant voice saying, we were not treated that well. Things have changed for the better, but they only changed for the better recently. There are so many things from Trump to new politics we could talk about. We've only two minutes left. Um, for 50 plus 60 years, you have been in the forefront of Irish public life, giving opinions, and you, you, you've moved through, left all the rest of it. When you look back, it, does a, a, a mellow uh, Owen Harris, if that's if that's not an oxymoron, do you have any regrets? Is there anyone you fell out with that you were sorry you did? No, I, I regret that I spent so many wasted years in, in, in communist parties or in socialist parties. That was a waste. I could have been doing better creative work in that period. That was a terrible waste. But I have no regrets um, like that. I have compared, you know, although on the surface I appear to be have changed political positions, the rule is you can change your political position as long as you don't benefit from it, like, too much. And I compare it to sitting in a cinema where you keep changing your seats so you can see the same picture. The same picture I see is a pluralist society. I want a real republic. And if Bertie Hearn can deliver that, I'll back him for a while. If Trimble can deliver that, I'll back him. If John Bruton can deliver that, I will shift from party to party, from person to person, to keep a clear vision of that screen, of the pluralist republic I believe in. Owen Harris, thank you for being our, our guest. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Airtricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.